last time we arguably got to talk about what should be considered the fathers of whatever genres they happen to be associated with. This week we decided to kind of reverse that and, well, arguably one of them is called the Mother of Blues and the other one is referred to as the Empress of Blues. Two badass ladies we're covering this evening and it's uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. I really enjoyed researching this one. Yeah, these these two ladies are are pretty badass in and of themselves. Uh, they they don't have quite a, the uh, the turbulent life I would say that the gentleman had last time. <laughs> There's some fun stuff in here, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is uh, do check out this song. I'm Pat. I'm Ian. Yeah, you know we're doing our regular thing. We're uh, digging through the past and telling y'all about people who are uh, you know sadly forgotten in some cases, and in some cases not so much so, but. At least bringing a fresh angle to it. And so I guess first up would be Ma Rainey. Ma Rainey was born Gertrude Melissa Nix Pridgett on April 26, 1886. Wait, could you give me that name one more time? Gertrude Melissa Nix Pridgett. And she was born in Columbus, Georgia to some minstrel troopers, Thomas Pridgett Sr. and Ella Allen Pridgett. Wow, I mean, I have a pretty crazy last name, but that's pretty insane. Yeah. There wasn't really a ton known about Ma Rainey in her childhood. They think her first public performance was at the age of 14 at a local talent show. She started singing at a young age because her parents were into it. You know, they were, they were minstrel show people too. And so she just kind of grew up in the life. Yeah, so that was kind of just all she always knew. Yep. On February 2nd, 1904, Pridget married a comedian singer named William Pa Rainey. Okay, hold on. Before we start, can I confirm? It's Pridget, like Bridget with a P. Yeah. Okay. That was her last name. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just tr- just trying to make sure that I got the name correct. That's yeah. uh, that's something else. Well, she marries William Paul Rainey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's where she gets the name Ma Rainey, you know, because they started touring together, Ma and Paul Rainey. Oh, of course, yeah. That makes and sense. And so she just never uh, went away from that ever since. So from now on, I'll just be calling her Ma Rainey. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, we don't want to say Pridget any more times when we have to. No. Interesting thing is she never heard the blues until she started traveling around with uh, Paul Rainey. Not really. I just never even heard never even heard of it. No, like, you know, she played jazz and stuff like that, but she had never heard the blues until she started traveling around with Paul. I mean, I, it's still the era where communication isn't high enough for them to actually, like, you didn't know everything. No, like, you actually had to travel around because everything was so area-driven. Yeah, so localized. Yeah. They're traveling around for years, and, you know, they go from troop to troop to troop. Eventually get to the Moses Stokes troop. That's where uh, Ma Rainey meets a new dancer, Bessie Smith. Yeah, we'll be talking about her later. We will be. That right there started a a big friendship between them that seemed to last their whole lifetime. And there was uh, some rumors that Ma Rainey was Bessie Smith's vocal coach. Now uh, researchers think that's not true, that that was just... Something people said because they were friends. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they were both kind of have they both kind of have similar voices, and they're both known for just loud, boisterous singing. So exactly, they keep tuning around with that, and then eventually they join up with another uh, group called the Fat Chappelle's Rabbit Foot Minstrels. Ooh, I love that name. Can we get it one more time? Fat Chappelle's Rabbit Foot Minstrels. Okay, yeah, I'm still. If you that. like that, if you like that name, this is gonna be get better. And so, uh, Mom, Paul, Rainey were billed as the assassinators of the blues. Like they were assassinating the blues or they were like singing the blues while assassinating. I think that would be the one. Oh, all right. I'm like, I'm all right with that. 
So they did that for about a year, but mom and pa got divorced. Oh, like they, the the two of them got divorced. The two of them got divorced, oh, and that's so they sad. they they went their separate ways. She kept the name Ma Rainey, though. Did he did he stay Pa Rainey? Um, you know, I don't know. I didn't I didn't see much on him after that. <laughs> oh, that's got that's gotta suck. You give her name or give her your name, and then I don't you guys think get I don't think he ever became famous like she did. Oh, that's kind of sad. And that was in 1916, and she, they went their separate ways, went to different troops, and she kept traveling around. And uh, eventually, in 1923, with the help of uh, Mayo Williams, uh, I, that guy sounds familiar. Oh yeah, with the help of him, he finally got uh, Ma Rainey signed and getting her in the studio. Now she wasn't the first blues musician to record. That goes to Mammy Smith. I think I said Ma Rainey was the first one ever. She was considered the first great blues musician to ever record. <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> so, so who's Mammy whatever? Mammy Smith. I don't know. She wrote this song called Crazy Blues. I mean, it's been covered by Ma Rainey and a bunch of other people of the era, but... Ouch. Uh, like, yeah. Like, like um, to make that distinction, like, oh, she may have been the first, but no, I meant she's the first great one. I had to make sure to, uh, to do that distinction just because, like, everywhere I look, it, that... That was what everybody said. Well, like we were talking about last episode, this comes down to the thing where it's it's whoever gets there first. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. people who recorded first one didn't necessarily create the genre. And who yeah, knows they, really they... who created blues? And it was, uh, you know, right place, right time type of deal. You know, I mean, Mammy Smith just might have been closer to Chicago at the time because that's where uh, everybody was recording was Chicago or New York. So Yeah. And yeah, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. She did a bunch of tracks. Her first song she ever recorded was Bo Weevil Blues, Old Blue Standard for back in the day. Yeah, I think I've actually heard of quite a few other versions of that. She did a, a song called Moonshine Blues, which is pretty good. And then she did Yonder Comes the Blues with Louis Armstrong when he was really young. Yeah, Louis Armstrong's like kind of a badass. Yeah, she got in on some talent when they were young. And then that same year she recorded C.C. Ryder, the first person to ever record a version of that song. C.C. Ryder. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's something I actually would have never guessed. Yeah, she was the first to record, and it was spelled S-E-E-S-E-E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course, why wouldn't it be? I know, but I just thought that was, uh, I just thought that was interesting because I've heard a million versions of that song. Never knew she was the first to record it. Yeah, exactly. And that was about it, you know, but she kept traveling around, you know, and then Got back in the studio in 1924 and came up with a song that becomes even more popular after her, but a song called Shave Em Dry. <laughs> we talked about Shave Em Dry last time. Yeah, and uh, well, this, you know, it's just a blatant song about sex, which, you know... Yeah, we talked to, honestly, I gave a caveat last time, if I remember right, yeah. about about this the adult nature of this song. I believe she coins most of those most adult lyrics. Yeah, well, I found out what Shave em Dry means, too. Oh, well, God. Well, <laughs> it's please. a reference to four playlists, aggressive sex. Oh, oh. <laughs> Shave em Dry, I see. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, in that era, there's a couple songs that I got some dude check out this song. There's one called uh, Black Cat Hoot Owl Blues, and it's just kind of a weird song with this weird kazoo sound thing in the background. It's cool, but it's a little odd. And then my personal favorite of all her songs is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And that song just, it kicks ass. And a little weird side note to that, in 1988, they made a play based off that song 
about Ma Rainey being in the studio recording and this big fight happens between all the musicians while the white uh, executives are trying to exploit him. And well, at the end of it, one of the musicians stabs another musician and ruins his entire career. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. It's a pretty, seems pretty brutal for a play, but uh, I don't know, maybe. Uh, and I think they may, I don't think anything like that ever actually happened to her, but the character was based off of her. And the fact that, you know, she kind of ruled the studio. She didn't let anybody give her any shit. Everybody always paid her. You know, she didn't take any shit from anybody. It didn't matter. And so I think that's what the whole play was based off of. See, and that's kind of weird. There's there's some really interesting echoes between my subject this evening, Bessie Smith, and, yeah. and this lady. Uh, there's, oh, they've, there's got some... a, they've got a lot of similarities, too. And yeah. they, it seems like they kind of like would just interweave in like the same circle, you know, and they were pretty good friends. Yeah. They dress the same too. And I mean, one thing that if you look these ladies up, if you think of like the classic, uh, big girl, you know, jazz singer with, yeah. the, with the fancy long dress and the big headset layer, you know, the big feather thing. On oh yeah. They created that style. That's yeah. their thing. Ma Rainey supposedly wasn't the most attractive of ladies either. I don't believe either of them really were, but uh, I, I think well, I don't think that stopped them. Another one of her um, many nicknames was uh, the ugliest blues woman to sing, so or something. It would not not too flattering. I, I think the reality of that is if you if you don't look good and you still succeed, that means you succeeded completely oh, that means you're, on merit. Yeah, you're a badass. Yep. In 1925. Ma Rainey's neighbors heard a bunch of noise coming from her house. You know, it was late at night. Not the normal kind. Like crazy partying noise, you know. And so they they, uh, they called the cops on her. And so, uh, and this was in Chicago, uh, when she was living in Chicago recording. And so the Chicago re- police responded. They go into her apartment and see a room full of naked women. And, and I quote, intimate situations. Like a lesbian orgy? Like a lesbian orgy. Oh, wow. This story just got so much better. Yeah. And they ended up arresting her for hosting an indecent party. Oh, that's that. I forget. That's like a crime and stuff. Yeah. Like apparently back then it was a crime to be a lesbian. Yeah. It's in like, you know, it's not not for It's frowned upon. That's for sure. <laughs> and so that I just thought that was crazy because she got arrested for just having fun. Yeah. So she spent the night in jail. The next morning, she's bailed out by uh, her old friend, Bessie Smith. Gasp. I know. And so I couldn't find anything, like, if if she was ever, like, tried or, like, had to go to jail or spend any time after that in jail. Maybe it was just, you learned your lesson, you spent a night in jail. Uh, No more lesbian parties for you. Yeah. No more (laughs) weird blues lesbian parties, ladies. (laughs) Keep your knickers on. (laughs) Get back to your man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, and this kind of comes to the whole narrative with her is a lot of people thought she was a lesbian. But really, uh, from all the research I did, it looked like she was bisexual. Because at this point in her life, she was constantly with women but she also really really liked young men specifically young men Mm -hmm. so you know it's just a big thing through her life is you know whether she was gay or you know whatever and that shit mattered so much more back then oh yeah but she wrote a ton of songs that really had a lot of like lyrics that kind of showed she liked women more like uh, a song called don't trust no man don't fish in my sea black eyed blues which is just about getting beat up by a man yeah that's that's why people speculated that she was a lesbian, but I just think she was uh, sick of what men did all the time. I mean, yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. 
three years after that uh, incident, she probably wrote her most famous song, and it's called Prove It On Me. And it supposedly loosely based on that whole incident in Chicago, which has more lyrics of her possibly being a lesbian. So, like, uh, I got I got a few of the lyrics here. Um, so, one of the lyrics is that they say I do it. Ain't nobody caught me. Sure got to prove it on me. Went out last night with a crowd of my friends. They must have been women because I don't like no men. It's true I wear a collar and a tie. Makes the wind blow all the while. Don't you say I do it. Ain't nobody caught me. You sure got to prove it on me. <laughs> and I don't, it's a... That's another one of those, do check out the song. That's a good one. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So the newspapers, to promote this song, featured her dressed in a man's suit flirting with two other women also. So that's how they promoted the song. Well, of course. I mean, I think once you have that kind of risque nature to it, you can you can start to play it. And she was extremely outspoken on women's issues and stuff like that. So it's probably just a part of the narrative, you know, like just. That was her thing, man. You know, she's all about all of her songs are sex and drugs and having a good time. And women want to have a good time just as much as a man, which which was her whole point. She became famous because, uh, well, she didn't become, um, but like she had really awesome stage shows. She'd open her stage show singing her song Moonshine Blues inside of a cabinet of an oversized Victrola from which she would emer- emerge to greet a near frantic audience. Victrola is the, the old like spinny. It's know, the old, uh, record player. Yeah, The old spinny. The record one, player, like, yeah. uh, basically like the one, it was the record player with a cabinet below where the speakers were. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's the one with the brat with the two brass horns that came down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so she'd emerge out from one of those singing one of her songs. <laughs> and I guess people would just go wild. Uh, well, I would, I mean, that sounds awesome. I know. Right. <laughs> it's like seeing, a. A kick-ass show now. I mean, that's like, that's like, uh, that's bombs like, going off on stage, you know? That's 1920s <laughs> version of Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that was pretty much most of her career. She recorded almost 100 records between 1923 and 1928. In the, uh, by the 30s, uh, you know, 30s came around and her style of, uh, blues, uh, just wasn't as popular anymore. And it was, once again, you know, the Great Depression just hit everybody, it seemed like. And so she uh, just stopped recording and she kept touring through the 30s up until 1935 when her uh, both her mother and her sister died. So she went home and uh, opened up two entertainment venues, one called the Lyric Theater and the other one called the Air Dome. That's cool. Yeah. And so uh, and this was back in her uh, hometown of Columbus, Georgia. Uh, you know, so she lived her life, uh, the rest of her life there, just running those businesses until she died in uh, December twenty second, nineteen thirty nine, of a heart attack. I finally found one for you. Oh, of course, there you go. <laughs> she died at the age of fifty three, though, so uh, <laughs> you know, not that uh, didn't live that long of a life. Ma Rainey was inducted in the Blues Hall of Fame in nineteen eighty three, and into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in nineteen ninety. Ooh, yeah, beautiful. So. You know, at least at least someone recognized her. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of these people get at least some some posthumous recommendations. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, uh, I guess that's as uh, good a transition as anyone's going to get. 
we're going to talk about Bessie Smith now. I mean, if we if you didn't figure that out through the first half of the episode, uh, we we've got another lady who comes up and literally her parallel. And like I said, there's some interesting echoes between these two ladies, almost like uh, you you'll see in a minute. Like like I said, as we start to cover it, uh, she's she's born the daughter of a Baptist preacher. Turns out he's not just like a Baptist preacher though; he's a full out like laborer Baptist preacher. He he. That, like Baptist preacher is not a a paying gig, so he oh does. okay, so, so he's a laborer. So that's what that, that his side gig was. Yeah, like, so his his side job he's probably like, I'm didn't gonna, pay I'm very gonna, well. I'm gonna go plow your fields and then uh, preach about God afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that was you know that was his thing, but unfortunately, he dies when she is too young to even remember. So he's out of the picture almost immediately. Up until that point, the family had lived in a one-room shack in a place called Blue Goose Hollow. It's apparently like a, a really, really bad slum area, well-known for uh, having... Blue Goose Hollow, where, uh, what state? Oh, the, in her, where she was born. Sorry, I, I, I kind of cut or didn't cover that. It's Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, okay. uh, by the way, she was born April 15th, 1894. Uh, we didn't really cover the birth date, but, you know, I mean, that's kind of just something. It's April- so- it's a very minor significance yeah. to everybody's life, really. I mean, yeah, it's only the first day of her life. Anyways, uh, yeah, so Blue Goose Hollow in Chattanooga. Uh, it's a bad slum area, well-known for a whole lot of uh, African-American people and then the poorest and the poorest of the white people, so, you know, a whole lot of white trash. <laughs> her father died when he was an, or when she was an infant, the youngest of seven children. The youngest of seven? Yeah, in a one-room shack in oh, a, in a God. slum. I, I get it, but... Jesus Christ. That's a crowded house. Uh, yeah, that's not that does not sound good. And then it gets only that much better wherein that when Bessie is nine years old, her, her mother dies as well. Oh wow. Yeah. So nine years old, not not really not really getting the best of life at this point. So what did her uh, siblings have to take care of her then or something? Yeah, so at this I mean, point at this point her eldest sister, uh, Viola, literally named Viola. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. She she moved them all to a tenement apartment in Tannery Flats. Uh or Tanner, Tanneri Flats, maybe I don't know the name, but it's a it's a place where uh, it's along along further called or a place called the Riverwalk is today. I don't really I'm not from Chattanooga, but the Riverwalk <laughs> is apparently like a fairly known place, and so it's just kind of down like oh, okay. a well known thoroughfare, like a well known shitty part of it. Or yeah, well I mean it's all slums. I mean I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's it's not good. Viola took in laundry, and Clarence, the eldest brother, which was right below Viola, he took a lot of odd, odd jobs, and at least until 1904, when he just kind of took off and joined a minstrel troupe and left everyone there. That seemed like the thing to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't get any information to the contrary, but I'm hoping maybe he sent money home. <laughs> I'm hoping. Well, the minstrels traveled a lot with uh, circus folks, so yeah. he's probably got chummy with carnies, and, you oh, know, they yeah. didn't really like to think about home. It is whatever. Either way, so Bessie and her uh, next older brother, Andrew, he uh, apparently was able to play the guitar, and she was able to dance fairly well and could kind of sing, so they started busking. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so she was probably about 12 years old when they, when this started, from what they said, and she bust uh, their favorite places outside a place called the White Elephant Saloon. Okay. Uh, it actually gave like directions to it in Chattanooga. It's not really around anymore, but the location is still well known. Uh, kind of like a... Like uh, X mar- marks a spot. This is where the famous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, is, this is the site of the famous old but white buffalo saloon. But <laughs> <laughs> many, many famous people have sung here, like Bessie Smith. Yeah, exactly. But the reality is that nobody really cares about that because nearby is a musical hub called uh, East Ninth Street, also known as the Big Nine. It's like a a big street that is literally just like one, like where 
it's it's comparable to other like you know blues centric areas where like the whole street had oh, okay. a bunch of clubs that yeah. were was well known for the area and well known for the like the rising of the blues in the area right kind of like uh bourbon street in new orleans has, yeah exactly has what its name is for yeah, yeah exactly so it's like the mini bourbon street kind of situation yeah. going on and then uh in 1912 after a couple of years clarence came back to chattanooga this time he had left the trip minstrel troop that he had joined and had joined a different one called the moses stoke minst or moses stokes minstrel troop oh there we go yep and then uh after hearing his sister sing at an amateur night at the ivory theater he had he uh, arranged an audition for her with with the minstrel troop itself apparently she had already gotten pretty good apparently after you know abandoning your family and you come back you're like hey my sister can sing too I can you want to abandon too i can make money off of her <laughs> yeah so let's hope it wasn't that situation, but most likely it probably was. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like uh, everybody was a, a little bit more desperate for money back then. Yeah, so uh, Bessie was hired as a dancer right away, and then she left town with her brother. She joined a different minstrel troupe, though, the, the Rabbit Foot Minstrels. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So it must be the the one you were talking about earlier. The yeah. One, you just had the extended name. Yeah. My, my source only had a shortened version. I'm kind of sad about that. Either way, at this point, she becomes uh, friends with a rather unknown singer, Gertrude Ma Rainey. Uh, oh, yeah. Who? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should cover her sometime. Yeah, I don't know. We'll probably do a part portion. She's often referred to as the mother of blues, and so this is why Bessie kind of gets the nickname the Empress of Blues is because they're kind of like together. Yeah, yeah, there was kind of a, a little uh, competition between them. They were they were friends slash rivals, I kept reading about yeah, that. Rivals. Yeah. Yeah, either way. And it's it starts moving forward pretty well because by 1918, uh, Bessie's performing as a duo with Hazel Green, and she's also developing her own solo act, which includes blues and a side of comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and so her life's going really well. She gets married to a man named Earl Love, and then the motherfucker dies before she can even move to Philadelphia to move in with him. <laughs> really? Yeah. So she she he dies really really quick in 1922, within four <laughs> years of this. So wow. yeah, she's not even able to fully like get moved in with him and he's already dead. What did he die of? Uh, that, uh, that was not included in the information. It was just like he died suddenly. Was yeah. he? No mm. I, 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 I'm not really sure. I mean, uh, people did just kind of die back then. Yeah. It was just kind of like, Oh, and he's dead. Never mind. Still didn't quite have a uh, modern medicine. <laughs> so in 1923, she records her first sing or her first songs with uh, or in New York city with Columbia records. Her song, Downhearted Blues, sold 780,000 copies in the first six months of its release. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is one of the reasons that she is also considered the Empress of Blues is because a few of her actual hits were like mega hitty hits. Like right. certain songs did really, really well for yeah, her. Yeah, that is definitely a mega hit, especially yeah. for back then. Exactly. So uh, thereafter, Bessie, she packed her uh, audiences everywhere, all across the country, in the north, in the south. All the way, she played in the mid Midwest all the time. Like she, she just traveled. Yeah, so she was she was well known to be able to perform everywhere at that yeah. point, and so I, I'm pretty sure she exploited that because for the next few years she travels quite a lot. Uh, well, that was probably the way to make money. She probably didn't make any off of those sales. Well, <laughs> we're we're getting to that because by 1924 she is the highest paid black entertainer in the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she's making more money than any other black entertainer in 1924, and it says that she makes almost $2,000 a gig at that point. Okay, so she it, she was making money off her gigs oh, and she not was, her uh, records then. Yeah, probably. well, I mean, it's whatever she was, whatever this reference may be, she was making money. I'm not really sure how that played out. Well, you know? I imagine uh, records were uh, 
nowadays Spotify where they're like, we can pay you an exposure. <laughs> yeah, God knows. God knows whatever it might have been. <laughs> Either way, a guy named uh, Jerry Desmond in the Tennessee Encyclopedia of History and Culture wrote, Bessie's only appearance in Chattanooga after achieving stardom went one way. And it quotes, out of, I'm quoting this out of the encyclopedia. After her performance at the, at the Liberty Theater, Smith attended a party uh, with a friend where she knocked down a drunk admirer for pestering her. The would-be admirer then stabbed Smith, and then she, or then Smith uh, chased him several blocks before Wait, she it was collapsed. a him? Yes, so a man stabbed her, who was a, a would-be admirer, so I'm pretty sure he was just <laughs> trying to get with yeah, that. Yeah, like... Get, uh, get one notch on his belt, huh? Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, I'm going to sleep with the Empress of Blues. And she's like, get away from me and pushed him down. And then he's like, bitch, I'm going to stab you. <laughs> and then he stabbed her. And then he ran for blocks and she chased him until she literally collapsed. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then uh, she she was staying in the hospital and she was on the stage the next night. No way. Yeah, straight up singing. So what, they just bandaged her up and she's like, I'm good. I'm out. Well, it's it's well noted that she's a, a large woman. So uh, it, it whatever might have been a flesh wound, I'm not, mm. you know, it, whatever it was. But uh, she didn't noted, hit anything major. Yeah, she's noted to be a very large woman with the exceedingly booming voice, which can <laughs> easily be heard without a microphone. So <laughs> nice. So in smaller clubs, she so would, she had some pipes. Yeah, so she could she could fill the air with those noises. Like like I said earlier, her big thing was she wore silk gowns, a lot of headdresses, big strings of pearls, feather boas, that classic like. 1920s 30s dirty blues look you see like in oh yeah like a lot of tom and jerry and stuff like that that's that's hers and like ma rainey's style right. that they developed that it just became really iconic of the 20s at that point and it's well known like a lot of the fashions followed kind of what they did right it sounds like bessie smith had a lot more success than ma rainey did though too yeah well it does seem like she was more successful it doesn't Nothing else really goes really well for her. Oh, no. Because in 1923, uh, she marries a man named uh, Jack Gee. He's a night watchman. But the marriage must not have really went very well because it literally didn't last at all. And she's married to Richard Morgan before the 30s. I didn't have solid numbers on it, but (laughs) within seven years, she's divorced from Jack Gee and then married to Richard Morgan, who is a bootlegger. So this is her third husband. Yeah, so now she marries her third husband. At uh, least the last guy didn't die. Yes, and he's a bootlegger. So this (laughs) this guy's a bootlegger. Really? And he's quoted to have been much more supportive. Uh, (laughs) So pretty much he's a criminal, so he just doesn't give a fuck if she's like probably going to lesbian parties at Ma Rainey's house. Right. Like, oh, you can go dyke out with your friends? Have fun. I gotta go make some uh, moonshine anyway. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, hey, yeah, it's a good life, I guess. (laughs) And well, at least he's bringing some money home and not living off of all her own money. Yeah, exactly. But and then, you know, it starts to get bad because we got the 1930s coming up. And, you know, with the 1930s comes a a waning popularity for this entire kind of wave of blues. Oh, yeah. We talked about that with Ma Rainey, how her life fell up you know like the, her popularity fell off kind of yeah quick. and with ma rainey she had to go back to smaller shows back to the minstrel shows and yeah so uh one of the big things was apparently radio exposure was really really important now in 1930s oh, okay but none of bessie smith's could really get on the radio because of the lyrics they had to be censored and nobody wanted to have censored music on the radio oh that makes sense yeah so she was really affected by that and that was so like a, a big effect on her career so uh she's at that point later in her career she tried to ins- or include a lot more like swing music she's kind of changed her existence she started playing trying with- trying to uh play to the crowd yeah play to the crowd move up with it she even played with count basie 
Count Basie's a well-known jazz guy, so he's like a a really big deal. Oh, okay. Yeah. She wore she switched her style. She uh, got rid of the headgear, switched to these big fashionable gowns, trying to keep oh, up with. Oh, okay. Kind of kind of the stuff you see more of her pictures pop up more frequently of her. Yeah, I would I would assume. Yeah, exactly. Those those you know. It kind of gives that lounge vibe, you know what I mean? Right. Like almost like a like early zoot suit sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on that. I I, I really don't know <laughs> You're much. Talking about, out of your ass right there. I don't really know a lot about zoot suit music, and that actually makes me sad. So we might need to uh, resolve that. Is an that. episode idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, I oh never mind. Oh, we'll do the research on it. <laughs> yeah, before before you come and talk out your ass. With yeah, me, I was about we, to. We too. can just have a segment in the show where we both talk out our ass for a while and make up shit about musical history. <laughs> oh yeah, see if anybody knows. We'll call it. Yeah, we'll we'll call it the fact checker. See if you guys are paying attention. <laughs> Don't tweet us, please. Either way, shortly uh, thereafter, she was set to perform with a guy named uh, Benny Goodman, and then she also had a bunch of plans to record and revitalize her career. Oh, yeah. This is a bad sign. Oh, no. So we're going to start to learn after this, I think, that having plans to revitalize your career, that's not a good thing because she dies in a car accident. No way. Yeah. In Clarksdale, Mississippi, in 1937, she uh, was only 43 years old. Only 43? Only 43 years old, and she died in a car accident. It was pretty sad, and it gets worse. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much worse it can get than death. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. So this is actually a story that some people might know if you're big Janis Joplin fans. Her her grave in Philadelphia, uh, well, in a place near Philadelphia called Sharon Hill, her grave remained unmarked until 1970. What? Are you yeah, serious? Yeah, nobody even put her name on her grave, the place where her body lied. Janis Joplin, whose own influences were apparently highly derived from Bessie's. Okay. And somebody named Juanita Green, who's the daughter of one of Bessie Smith's employees, got together and they paid to erect the gravestone. Oh, wow. So these two got together and paid for it. When was this, in the 60s? It was the 70s. 70s. Yeah. And they inscribed it on a message, the greatest blues singer in the world will never stop singing. Wow, that's pretty awesome, though. Sometimes it takes years, and I think that's another thing we're going to get to with these older people is they're not really appreciated for a long time. Well, I mean, if you looked at Bessie Smith, she didn't uh, get into the Hall of Fame until like 50 years after she Mm -hmm. died. Well, another good thing is Chattanooga has a performance hall named after Bessie Smith. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's a there's a whole Bessie Smith thing, and there's also some good stuff, bad stuff. So Bessie Smith, her influence reigned for the last 30 years. Good news. Bad news. The Bessie Smith threat, while it had been held on Mondays at the Riverbend Festival for more than 30 years, this year the Riverbend organizers decided that they had to reduce the number of days from 9 to 4, and there's no longer room for the Bessie Smith strut. What? So the Bessie Smith Strut, who has held once uh, one day for this festival every year for the last thirty years, will no longer exist as of two thousand nineteen. Are you serious? Yep. But merchants, businessmen, residents on Martin Luther King Boulevard, they paid to have the or they voted to have the Betsy Smith Strut rebranded into the Big Nine Roots Festival. Remember what I said with the Big Nine earlier? Yeah. So this is the Big Nine Roots Festival, and they're going to stage it in October now. So it's now uh, going to be October 5th. Or 5th. Well, so it least... no longer bears her name, but it's now a whole like a whole blues festival, like a whole day. Oh, okay. Which is cool. That is something. Uh, helping to organize and produce the event is the Betsy Smith Culture Center, which might be this this scent, like this uh, venue that they, or this performance hall that they named after her, I would assume be named 
the culture center or maybe it's um, something unrelated and there's two things named after her. and then also the mary walker foundation so i'd assume that's that's something else like a local foundation yeah either way they said it's gonna be on october 5th all day 11 a.m to 11 p.m and it's gonna be 100 percent free so i mean that's something I, I hope they do the strut there. I don't know what the Betsy Smith strut is, but that I sounds cool. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I couldn't really find any information on what it actually was. Just huh. that it was canceled. Like, it was kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what it is, doesn't matter, because we're not doing it anymore. Yeah, no, exactly. With my dude, uh, check out this song. It's more of a fun fact day. There is a little, uh, little spoiler here. Not really spoiler, but an Easter egg here that I kind of found. Where, uh, for anybody who listens to the Mountain Goats, there's a song called uh, J-Pure, J-Pure, J-A-I-P-U-R, on uh, the song, or the album Coroner's Gambit. And it starts with the first few seconds, this kind of grainy blues song. That song is Haunted House Blues by Bessie Smith. So uh, if you out there want to go check out Haunted House Blues, it is a quite amazing song. All right, so I know I knew you guys thought that uh, we were only going to bring you two badass women. But we got one more badass woman for you to bring up. Another big uh, blues woman. She is like considered one of the big three. And she was born Amory, Mississippi on April 1st. I don't have, for some reason, I don't have a year. It was pretty early. And her name was Lucille Bogan. Lucille Bogan. Oh, yeah. Can't believe you brought us a birthday without a year. I know. That's That's, a little upsetting. That's strike one, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Well,. I'm new at this. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Really, though, like, there's not a whole lot known about her, like, at all. There's nothing known about her early life other than, like, she moved to Birmingham, Alabama. 1897, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. 1897. Thank you. No problem. (laughs) I don't know why that wasn't in my notes. (laughs) Um, She was born uh, Lucille Armstrong. Did she change her name with her first husband, too? She did when she moved to Birmingham, Alabama. Why are they all be doing this? Uh, she married a man named Nazareth Lee Bogan. Nazareth Lee Bogan. And he was a railway fireman. They had a son named Nazareth Jr. Nazareth? Yeah. So, so it's Nazareth Bogan and Nazareth Bogan Jr. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not really much is known about how she started singing. She recorded some vaudeville songs for OK Records in in New York in 1923. You know, not a whole lot came out of those. Unlike the other two, her biggest songs didn't come till 1930, and that's when she started um, concentrating on uh, all of her lyrics on like drinking and sex, like uh, some songs like Sloppy Drunk Blues and Tricks Ain't Walking No More. She also recorded a song called Black Angel Blues, which was covered by B.B. King and a bunch of other blues musicians many years later, but they changed the song to Sweet Little Angel. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So what was the original name? The original name is Black Angel Blues. Black Angel Blues. And then uh, B.B. King covered it and changed it to Sweet Little Angel. (laughs) And honestly, dude, check out my song is Sloppy Drunk Blues. That song is awesome. Is it really? Yeah. You heard it earlier. It's, yeah, no, it's a it, good it is song. quite amazing. You know, her songs were, uh, she, uh, they were considered humorous, you know, you know, just lots of sex, prostitution, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course, it's it's not, not PG stuff. <laughs> Definitely not PG stuff. In 1933, uh, she goes back to New, uh, to New York to record, but she changes her recording name. 
She starts recording under the name Bessie Jackson. Wait, so she just changed her name halfway through her career? Yeah. Okay. Couldn't find a reason why. Yeah. Nobody seems to know, but she changed her name to Bessie Jackson. She probably didn't like Lucille Bogan. I don't know. That's kind of a cool name. I, I, I think so. But she recorded over 100 songs with that name. These were her biggest commercial successes. Seaboard uh, Blues, Troubled Mind, Superstition Blues. That's a good song. I really like that one. Not a whole lot is known about her other than the fact that, again, like her and Maureenie, she got with both men and women, was known to be uh, wild. Yeah, that's the 20s for you, I guess. Yeah. Uh, We're approaching the 20s again. <laughs> I hope it's just, just like that. <laughs> Let's make the 20s fun again. <laughs> Hopefully in the 30s we don't hit another Great Depression, though. That would suck. Well, and in these recordings, she recorded her two most famous songs. And one of them is Shave Em Dry. Oh, this goddamn song again. This goddamn song. But she takes it and uh, makes it just extremely dirty. Like, so dirty. Like, they had to record two versions. One clean that they could play normally. <laughs> and then they recorded this one. And... Like, I just, I got to say a couple lines from this. Like, okay, hold on. But before you do, this is a this is an adult podcast, an adult song. If you are offended by lyrics or your kid's in the car or whatever it may be, please just turn it down for a minute. <laughs> so the very first verse in this whole song is, I've got nipples on my titties, big as the end of my thumb. I got something between my legs that'll make a dead man come. Baby, won't you shave them dry? Want you to grind me, baby. Grind me until I cry. Interestingly enough, there's a Tom Waits song that references the line, make a dead man come. <laughs> I did not know that. That's the opening verse. And there's like eight verses in this song, and they're all just as dirty. She says uh, <laughs> fucking all the time. Like, I just want to give, I just want a good fucking and stuff like that throughout <laughs> the entire song. And then there's one line in the song where even in the recording, she laughs at the very end like she couldn't believe she just sang it. It goes, now your nuts hang down like a damn bell sa uh, sapper and your dick stands up like a steeple. Your goddamn asshole sta uh, stands open like a church door and the crabs walk in like people. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fucking shit, dude. <laughs> right after she says that, she busts up laughing. Jesus. All fuck. the recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I can't even handle that. What the? <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever thought the 1920s was a tame time, I'd get a <laughs> example A yeah. Lucille Bogan. <laughs> <laughs> this song, I mean, how? Well, it's like three episodes. This song has been mentioned in now. And it's... Oh man, but hers is easily the dirtiest <laughs> and definitely the most known because that's even dirty for nowadays. Like it, it was just blatant and out there. And and, and you guys don't have to worry. Honestly, we're uh, even next episode. We're moving on to people who are much more popular and forward in the media, so there won't be a whole lot of uh, what. Uh, Thumb nipples? Was it thumb nipples? Yeah, <laughs> she's, uh, she's got uh, she's got nipples on her titties as big as her thumb. Oh yes. <laughs> there were, the following episodes will feature far less thumb titties. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess I should I guess I should have ended with that song because that one that one went over well. 
But then her other really uh, uh, famous song is BD Women's Blues. And the BD stands for Bulldike. Oh, yeah, of course it does. Uh, so she wrote it but called it called herself a Bulldike? Yeah. It was about, about being a woman who dresses like a man who's into women. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, well, as long as she's saying it about herself, I mean, I don't, I, well, I'm not but, in any place to be offended by that. I don't well, know. but that's the thing. I mean, she was with both men and women, so... I don't know if uh, she's talking about someone she knows or making fun of women, but she was. That's the perspective of the song, at least. Yeah. Well, the perspective of the song is from the perspective of someone who dresses like a man or a woman who dresses like a man. Yeah, that's kind of a theme this evening. Definitely a theme. (laughs) So I don't know. After that, she just kind of stopped recording. Just never did it again. Yeah, she was just done. Yeah. Even after all the people she'd with. Her husband stuck around with her till 1941. They got divorced. She just started managing her son's uh, music career. He eventually moved to um, Los Angeles, and she moved with him with her new husband, James Spencer, who was 22 years younger than her. Oh, well, I mean, at least she's still foxing it out. So that's another thing. Uh, that's another thing she uh, had in common with uh, Ma Rainey is apparently they both like the young men. Well, of course. You know, not not much not much is known about her life when she moves over to California. Don't even have a date when she died. Just says she died in 1948 when she was 51. She was buried in Lincoln Memorial Park in Compton, California, but no headstone was purchased. And, what again? Yeah, but it gets worse. There is some dispute over the exact location of her still unmarked grave. So even today, they st- they have no idea where she's What the buried. fuck? The same shit with Bessie Smith. I know. Janice, somebody call Janice Joplin. I want to know why her son didn't buy her a, a goddamn headstone. Like, come on. I'm I'm going to personally email Janice. Somebody out there, you guys email Janice Joplin. We need to start digging up no, on Mark Graves. That's not a funny joke. Oh, I missed that one. Well, thank you guys all for coming out tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening. And we're diving into here some uh, pretty badass ladies, and we're kind of exiting the 20s at this point. Yeah, the reason why we've been covering so many people in one episode is there's, just, there's not a lot of information about them. Yeah, so one of the things you'll find when we move forward here is we might focus on uh, more specific people. Next episode, we have a very fantastic blues musician coming up. And you're going to have to wait to find out. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a treat, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. But next week, we're only covering a single person, so the format shifts just a little bit. But we're going to be moving forward to times where we actually have a lot more information about people now. Yeah. Thank you all, and have a good evening. Seriously, thank you guys so much for coming out. Yeah, thank you guys. And if you want more, check out our social media. We got Facebook, we got Twitter, and we got Spotify. That's right. If you want to do check out this song, do check out our Spotify because we're making playlists for every episode. Yeah. If you want more after the episode, listen to the Spotify playlist. We've got all the songs we recommended and then some. If you like us a lot, give us a high rating on whatever platform you look at. And if you got any artists you want to suggest, let us know. We would love to make an episode about them. Yeah. So have a good evening. Bye.